All right, everyone, welcome back to the Jonathan underscore Foster podcast. As though I need to continue to tell you that that's the name. You're here. You obviously know that's the name. So thanks for being here. So a lot of things are happening in my life in addition to, man, this really fascinating dissertation that I'm working on where I'm trying to connect Sharardian thinking with open and relational thinking. Um, I've got a new book of short stories that are coming out. If you're not listening to this, like right when this show is coming out, you probably can already find it online. It's called The Hope and Melvin of Humanity and Other Short Stories. It's a collection of writing that'll be in print and digital and audible that I got into over the last two, three, four years to help me kind of figure out what it is I think. And it's not like I've landed. I don't have all the answers. But what I'm thinking when it comes to sacrifice and scapegoating, and yes, open and relational thinking, process theology, trying to incorporate those kinds of things into stories that help me then figure out what it, what it is that I believe as I go through, well, frankly, very challenging things in my life. So I hope it will serve you well. But if it doesn't, the good news is, is that it served me well. And um, if you're listening to this, like the day the show comes out, it's probably still another week before the book comes out. And I know you're sick of hearing that. Frankly, I'm sick of saying that. I'm ready for it to happen. But, you know, these big projects take a while. You can learn more about that and other creative things that I'm doing at my Patreon page, where you can also subscribe to support this podcast and other things. That means a lot to me. Patreon.com, excuse me, patreon.com forward slash Jonathan underscore Foster. Uh, you can also go the non-subscription route, but still sign up with your email at jonathanfosteronline.com. And uh, that way you'll get a little newsletter, oh, every couple of weeks from me, giving you some updates on some stuff I'm involved in or some writing or something, hopefully something mildly entertaining or helpful or insightful. All right. Speaking of entertaining, helpful, and insightful, today's going to be fun. I had, I had a conversation with a longtime friend of mine. His name is Derek Logan. Derek and I were both worship pastors out in the Valley of the Sun for quite a while, although he longer than me, though I am a few years older than he is. So I don't know, maybe overall we were same amount of time. But Derek um, has a really interesting story. So it's really been fascinating to stay connected with him through the ups and the downs, the challenges, contractions, expansions, uh, resolution, tension, all the things that make up a really good story that's been happening in Derek's life. And uh, recently he was kind of, how should I say it, um, spewed out, uh, kind of kicked out, kind of uninvited from the large megachurch that he was on staff at because of his views and how they've shifted over the years. I mean, I know it's amazing for anyone who listens to this podcast to imagine that a church would let someone go just based on their theology shifting. I know that's crazy. None of us have ever heard anything like that. But that is what happened with Derek. And he has a really gracious story about all of that and other things. He's very articulate. And so I just thought, man, we should record this thing. And in the off chance that I say something remotely intelligent along with him, we'll throw it on the podcast. And sure enough, I'm not surprised. That's what's happened. And I hope if you're someone that's on the journey of trying to figure out what it is that you're believing regarding life and religion and the sacred text we call the Bible, 
that you'll find Derek's um, insight here helpful and maybe you'll get connected with him, especially if you lived out in the Southwest, in the Phoenix area. I know he'd love to check in with you. All right, so this is my conversation with Derek. Thanks so much for tuning in today and I hope you find this helpful. You're kind of coming out of that mega church evangelical world. Um, maybe to get us going, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that looked like and what was going on inside of you? Uh, what was the tension that was playing out in the middle of that story? Um, yeah. That invited you to move mm-hmm. on? Yeah. Um, both of my, okay, backstory with me, born and raised in the church. Both of my grandfathers grew up in a, in a denomination that's a Pentecostal charismatic denomination. Is the, is the world that I kind of came up in, the Christian world I came up in. Both of my grandfathers were lifelong pastors, great men, uh, a lot of positive experience there. Um, that, uh, my journey kind of evolved in into my adult years where I wanted to become a worship leader. Um, and so that kind of following those breadcrumbs led me to some different church traditions that were a little bit broader and a little bigger. Um, and that's, yeah, I kind of found myself in the, you know, the quote unquote mega church world and ended up making a, a career out of that for 15 years. It was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really grateful for that season. Um, about not, so that was yeah over the course of 15 years or so, um, about nine or 10 years ago, um, I, started, I, I think I've always asked questions, you know, along the way. And as it turns out, um, the evangelical world doesn't kind of frowns on that. Like you can ask, you can ask questions within a particular, uh, within a particular box, but if you're questioning the box itself or those sort of things, and you know, my incessant question asking and, and digging and, and scrutinizing and, and all of that stuff, um, led me to really start to question some of the very basic fundamentals and doctrine elements of the, not just the church that I was employed at, but just the kind of the institution on the whole. Um, but I stayed, I stayed in that and I continued on the journey. Uh, I kept, I kept digging and I just kind of, uh, week to week, month to month, like was just, managing that, that tension, uh, along the way, being very honest with myself, being very honest with kind of a core group of of friends that were within that world. Um, and that worked out, uh, that worked out for a long time until it didn't. And, (laughs) um, and so I left that, I left that position in November and it feels, it feels liberating. It feels freeing. It feels, uh, I'm a little un, unsure, so you know that my my faith journey story was directly tied to my vocation, my profession, the the thing that I do that enables me to provide for my family. Um, that kind of uh, untangling that that sort of mess has been I knew I knew was coming, you know, and so I've been kind of working a plan for some for some time, and and of course things don't go according to plan, so. Um, yeah, I'm kind of navigating this, uh, this space outside of that and 
working towards reimagining a new, a new career and direction professionally. Um, and excited not to have that kind of intertangled with my own faith journey. Yeah. So, um, a lot of people that I interact with and I know you too, um, uh, in the podcast or writing, you know, cause right now there are, there are tens and tens of people that follow me. There's a lot of people, um, but, uh, a lot of it. it's just yeah. dozens, dozens are flocking. Maybe dozens. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, I love it. but all of us are kind of in that same journey. So without casting shade upon what you're in, and I know you well enough to know that you're really not interested in that, which I respect that. What kind of cognitive dissonance, what were the things that were happening um, within you? And how did you, I, I noticed you said, and I've heard you say before, you were able to have a, a group of core friends that you trusted. You know, a lot of guys in your situation wouldn't even have been able to have that. Yeah. So how did that happen? Goodness. What was developing in the middle? Of oh, man. There's so, so much to talk about in all of that. I, it, it started for me kind of discovering that some of the ideas within the text or within the tradition rather were misinformed by a kind of a, a, a poor uh, representation of the Bible itself. So one of the moves that Christianity has, and when I'm talking about Christianity, I'm talking about my, like Derek's experience within the evangelical Christian world in the United States, you know, so I'm, I don't want to make any too broad universalistic statements about Christianity on the whole, but just in, in my experience within that world, they, um, they have a, they have a pretty shallow, they're not trying very hard when it comes to doing exegesis or like reading the Bible and trying to extract the ideas that the Bible is offering to them. They're really good at having ideas and showing you where they can find their ideas in the text, which is the opposite of eisegesis, right? So, um, but they, they like to label the eisegesis as exegesis. I'm re but really what they're doing is reading ideas into the text instead of pulling ideas out of the text. And I, some of those things started coming unraveled for me a little bit. Um, and then it started coming unraveled a lot. And I'm being introduced to a different way of engaging with the Bible that's really trying to grapple with what did the author intend when they wrote this? What did it mean to the audience that they were writing to and weighing that against what, how those passages or that, that, you know, parts of the Bible were being represented to me within the Christian framework. And that tension was tough, man. Like, as it turns out, like all of the basic foundational elements of my faith are all founded on these uh, on these particular ideas, um, and that are kind of misguided, not, not malicious. We don't, I don't think we get there maliciously, but it, nonetheless, it's it, there. They, they appear to me now to be misinformed. Now give me think, an example of one of those things that you really struggled with. Goodness. Uh, the great commission was like one of the first things for me. So, uh, at the end of Matthew, um, you know, Jesus has resurrected. He is addressing the disciples prior to his ascension. And he is commissioning these people to, like, with this great task. Like, all these people who have followed him 
throughout his all of these ministry years, he's commissioning these, this great directive. Therefore, go and make disciples. Um, it is like so. Unpacking that contextually, um, this isn't a statement that Jesus is making uh, directive. The word "go" that is used there is not a directive form of the word go. Like if I tell my kids, go brush your teeth, like that's an instruction. It's very clear. There's not any room to budge from this. Like the, the, the directive is clear. Um, the, but he's not using that form of the word go. He's using uh, a passive form of the word go. Like, would you, if you're going into the kitchen, would you mind grabbing me something to drink? Like, uh, in, in your going, like as you're going is a, is a better representation of that, not a directive form, but a passive form. Um, therefore go and make, if you look, this was really fascinating to me. So, uh, I got introduced to this tool, uh, in a Bible software that I use, uh, of interlinear, interlinear Bibles, which basically have the, an English translation you can kind of pick whatever English translation, and then they will it will align that with the original language text. So it be Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic is going to show up right below the text, and you can kind of weigh these things out and see how these different ideas or words are aligned. When you look at this in, the, in an interlinear text, the words and make in English don't have any Greek counterparts below them there because the words and make don't exist in the original text and that think okay well maybe they're implied or insinuated how does that really change the meaning like think about how that changes the meaning disciple now disciple the way that the word disciple as it's represented in an english translation is a noun Therefore, go and make disciples. Like, I am being commissioned to go and to do something, and I need to accomplish this. I need, like, there is an endpoint, like, in-game sort of thing that I need, that needs to be realized, and that is that I need to make disciples. If I'm not making disciples, I have failed the commission. How does that change when in make isn't there? Disciple now is not a noun. It is a verb. Therefore, like in your going, as you're going about life, disciple, like it is, that's such a contrast to like the stop whatever you're doing and go and do this thing Mm -hmm. and, and accomplish this end result. Mm -hmm. But instead like, Hey, as you're going about your life, as you are cutting onions in the kitchen for dinner, as you're checking out at the cash register, as you're interacting with people at work or school or wherever you're at, Disciple, like bear witness, share your story. Like I, I, it's just a, it's something that I'm, I'm a process that I'm involved in. When we read it through that English lens, English translation perspective, I, I am particip, I am, I'm going up, I'm following this commission because of an end result that's going to be realized in someone else's life. Other people are dependent upon me in order, they're not going to become disciples unless I make them disciples. Um, but from the biblical point of view, I don't participate in this process because of the difference it's going to make in somebody else's life. I participate in this process because I need to participate in the process. 
because I'm cre- like the way that I'm just designed to work is to do that. And if that has any sort of benefit in somebody else's life, that's great. But whether or not that person becomes a, a disciple, like if we're going to use that as a noun, like that really doesn't have anything to do with me. I, I can plant the seed. I can water the seed, but there's nothing that I can do that will cause the seed to sprout. There's nothing that I will, I, I can't make a plant become a plant, like a seed become a plant. I can only participate in the process of that. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. Um, not go and accomplish some end result, but just be a part of the process that I'm already doing. And mm-hmm. you need to like, this is all going to happen mm-hmm. already, but mm-hmm. the opportunity is for you to be a part of that. And when you're a part of that, that's what gives you life. I like it, man. It's amazing how just this small thing can make such a big, big difference. And I can imagine uh, knowing your world, what, how problematic that was because yeah, I've long been suspicious that evangelicalism's um, process, their, their form really has been influenced more by like the printing press and the assembly line and then the industrial revolution than actually the organic, you know, sacred text and the, yeah. uh, the mystery of all that goes on when someone as they're going about their life, you know, just expresses love to their neighbor and helps be a part of that discipling process. It's got, a, it has a complicated history and mm-hmm. it's really, you know, zooming out 30 to 30,000 feet and kind of looking at it in, in comparison to, or in relation to other faith traditions around the world. It's really, really unique. Um, all of these other traditions, you know, Buddhism or, you know, um, uh, Judaism, uh, Hindu, like all of these are very geographic and culturally based. Christianity is like the first thing like this that emerges. And I mean, I'm like resistant to call it a religion because actually that term religion doesn't get used prior to Christianity, but because Christianity develops the way that it does. And it's, it's good. The story of Christianity is a complicated story and I'm not, yeah. And it, there's some beautiful elements to it and there's some troubling elements to it. And it's all part of, it's all in the same story. Like, um, because of the way that Christianity develops, which isn't developed based upon it around a particular people group. Like it is, it's something, it's, it's something else that happens. It, it, it creates this idea of religion. And then that becomes a lens that then Christianity is kind of is, is placing on these other traditions, which are just like, people in India just kind of think about the world this way. Like, this is the way that we relate to the earth. This is the way that we make, this is the story that we're telling ourselves about how the cosmos came to be and what life is about. What's our meaning? What's our purpose? How do we relate to all of this stuff? Um, But that kind of that lens of religion gets kind of thrust upon that because of this like new thing of Christianity that gets, that gets developed. It's It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating thing. And it is really, unique in terms of its inception and how that, how that came about and spread. Mm -hmm. And because I'm sure in many cases it was so attached to Eurocentric, you know, Caucasian power, which uh, grew rapidly and became, you know, the dominant thing. 
it just, uh, especially for those of us who come from, um, you know, who are more Caucasian, it's just, it's just was, it was just what we assumed life was. Turns yeah. out that things are a lot bigger, more expensive. So, oh man. So, so the world's such, such a big place. It is. And that's, it's the thing that the irony of this piece of it cracks me up all the time in the sense that, you know, the more I've leaned into, um, you know, disassembling my faith and then reassembling it, the more intuitively what I understand is that this could be, and maybe should be, although I try not to use the word should, but, but this, this could be the thing actually that Jesus followers are known for, to have the security and the grace and the patience and the expansiveness to be able to pull things apart and put things back together. Because there are so few sacred anything, you know. But it turns out when you do that, you get the complete opposite reaction. And I've thought for a long time that in and of itself, good Lord, that should be evidence in and of itself that so much of this is on the wrong track. Just the anxiety that, um, so how did you deal with that? You're, you're in, you know, one of the largest churches in the nation and you're feeling these things. Um, but you seem to have handled it really well, man. Like you just have that, you kind of have this carefree attitude that I love but there had to have been a lot of anxiety projected back onto you in the middle of that. Yeah. My wife, if my wife was sitting here next to me, she would be busting up laughing so hard because I, yeah, I put, I put a good face on, I think a lot of, a lot of times, (laughs) but it, it was totally maddening. You know, I'm, I'm just, I just remember nights like pacing around the house or pacing around my office at the church in the early days. It's like cussing up a storm how did we get here? What in like, what is going on? Like, this is, (laughs) this is all, this all just feels so fraudulent. And like, and now I'm like, I feel stuck because I have to, I've got to be here and I've got to do this. There was a story. My dad told me this story and this really helped kind of calibrate my compass a bit. Like when all of this stuff was happening, I didn't have, I just called it my spiritual journey. I have like all these little folders on my, you know, notes thing on my phone or folders on my computer or, or a bookmark folder where I'm saving stuff. And I just, it's like MSJ, my spiritual journey. It's, this is just like Derek's deconstruction. I didn't have that. That language wasn't, I, I didn't know about that language at the time, but this is definitely what's, what's going on. Um, and I find myself in this place of the, this immense tension where I feel, I, I just feel totally, I feel totally stuck. Um, and he, my dad tells me this story, you know, and it's a, it's a story from the Bible. Here we have um, the nation of Israel essentially gets its start in captivity in Egypt. And so they, they're spending hundreds of years um, doing slave labor. One of, the, one of the main things that they are doing are building bricks. So what are these bricks used for? Like these bricks are used to erect monuments and palaces and shrines and temples and pyramids, or I don't know, like whatever they're used for to honor and to, to represent a false deity for them. Like they're literally all of the labor, the fruit of their labor um, was, was focused in that direction but they did it. 
and they showed up every day. And at the, like, because really what it was about wasn't, it wasn't about the fruit of their labor. It was, it was about the labor and there, because there came a generation that whose parents built bricks, but the generation that followed them did not build bricks. But all of that, all of that labor, all of the skill that was developed from generation to generation was used to build the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the wilderness, used to build the temple and to build other things. Um, it, that, it was a, my dad told it in a much more succinct sort of way, and it was just like him kind of dropping this little nugget into my ear that just kind of grew immediately. I'm like, oh man, that is so, it's so helpful. Like I don't have to be so fixated. I got into the ministry thing because I wanted, it was really a control effort for me to like try to control how my work, like the, the level of benefit that my work was going to bring to the world by working in a church, this is going to enable me to maximize the benefit that I bring into the world. Um, I'm going to maximize the fruit of my labor. I'm not going to go build up some, you know, super valuable portfolio and a bunch of wealth for myself. Like I want to build, the, you know, the kingdom of God. I want to build the church, I, you know, all of these things. And then when that rug kind of gets pulled out from underneath you and you realize like, ah, it's not, it's not what you think it is anymore. You know, and all of a sudden that labor isn't connected to this, the fruit anymore. Like you're not thinking about that equation the same way at all. I needed, I had to find a path forward. I did feel there was something, I, all of this distance that I was feeling and it was just mounting and it was frustrating. And I, you know, I would separate, I, I would, I don't know. I would, I would try to isolate as much as I could at times. Like when I was, when I was there, it's frustrating. Um, I lost my train of thought now, but um, I, I was so, I was so, I was just so fixated on trying to maximize, control the fruit of my labor when really the whole point is not the fruit of the labor. It's not the end game. The point is the journey. It's the process. It's developing the skill set. And there's all of these different nuggets in the text, you know, going into Babylon, going into exile, going into Israel, wandering in the wilderness. They're, they're kind of, they're never, any, they're never anywhere. Like they're always on their way somewhere. Like the, the people, you know, people are having, uh, it's not stories about people who realize, you know, they destroy the ring of power and fight, you know, or they, you know, they, they save the damsel or whatever. It, it, it's not, it's not stories like that. It's just, a, it's stories of people who are wandering and trying to figure out where North is, you know, like, how do we get, how do, how do we like, I don't, we don't even totally know where we're going all the time, but how, like, what's the right direction to move? And that, I think that really resonates with the reality of just how the world works. You know, like there's, there's some, there's so much to be gleaned by that because life is the journey. It's not the, it's not the destination of the process. I, I totally agree. And um, what I heard you say was um, what you didn't realize was happening um, or actually maybe after the fact, which is usually the way it works, you realize that the stuff that you were doing was beneficial for a while, but now you're going to take that same stuff. You're going to, you, you know, however you figured out how to make bricks, now you're going to go make bricks and do something else. And yeah. um, it feels like love uh, never, never kind of wastes um, opportunities to teach and to grow. And if you're just open to that, you, you pick 
take what you can and leave behind what you can and, and you move on to the next thing. And I totally agree. It never really stops constant. Like the only yeah. thing that's really ever stays the same is the fact that nothing ever stays the same. It just, yeah, it's moving. And uh, I'm just, I've told you before, but I'm really proud of you for being in that situation where certainly in a, you know, in a larger church setting like that, where the temptation would absolutely be, Oh, this is it. I'm done. There's really nowhere else left to go. Um, actually, no, there's a lot of stuff left to do. So, yeah. I, kind of coming back to, you were asking about the community and the people, like one of the, <laughs> one of the benefits of sticking around and this is, you know, it's a large church with a bunch of campuses. So there in our, uh, I'm, I'm a part of the music community. That music community is really large and that music community is centralized. So all of the campus are, all the campuses are in the same metropolitan area. And the team, there's one team of worship leaders and musicians who divide and conquer and go to different campuses every week. So any worship leader could land on any campus, any group of musicians could land on any campus. So you have one group of maybe 120 musicians who are all kind of connected to each other because you're playing with a different conglomeration of those folks each week. So it's a, it, that's a recipe for like a really tight knit community. That's pretty diverse in terms of demographic and, you know, church background, ethnicity. It was a, it's a super diverse, really cool group of people. Everybody's on a different place on the spiritual journey. As it turned out, like me navigating that journey there in proximity of those folks proved to be very beneficial for these, for this collection of artists who are on their own journeys too. And to have somebody who was doing this alongside of them and asking some of these same questions. And in a lot of these situations, I was a step or two ahead of where some of them are at. And not that I know where I'm going at all, but I can, I can show you what I've learned and we can, we can do this together. That was how, that was how that developed for me a hundred percent. Like it, it was just people, <laughs> maybe that's the participating in discipleship, you know, sort of thing. It was just, we would hang out and we would talk about these things really honestly, very open-handedly. We're not, we're not, it's easy to throw rocks at a glass house. We could, you can, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, anything to destroy the church or to, you know, to tear down Christianity but we're, this is a group of higher minded individuals who are trying to do the harder work of, of, of t surgically kind of taking this apart and reexamining it and uh, scrutinizing it. And sometimes you could put that piece back like that. That actually works. That's okay. Like, this is good. This part over here though, I think is kind of toxic, mm -hmm. but that part is a foundational element of the church that we all stand on a stage and serve what are we going to do with that? Like we realize that that ain't it, but that is it for them. How do we, how do I exist? Now I'm not doing that by myself. Like there's other people that are dealing with that same sort of turmoil. And I think that's where life is lived, man. It's like, it's in the tension of those things mm -hmm. and figuring out how to constantly thread those needles. You know, it's a, it's a hard dance, but like looking around the room and you see a couple other people like, there's times where you feel like you're the only lucid character in the movie of your life. Like you're the only one that's, you're, you're more, you know, you're, uh, 
you know, Neo in the matrix and you're like, Oh, like I'm seeing it for what it is. There's definitely that the, the matrix analogies are endless in this, you know, it's the, the red and blue pills and all of, and all of that. But then it's really like, there's a certain energy like that you feel when you look across the room and somebody makes eye contact with you and you're like, Oh, you, you saw it too. Like <laughs> it was, uh, you know, the scene in field of dreams, you know, talk about stories here. I love, uh, Field of Dreams, where there, you know, he takes uh, Terrence Mann, James Earl Jones's character, Kevin Costner, and they go to this baseball game, and they're, you know, they're at Fenway Park, stadium's packed, and there's something that, like a message that flashes up on the scoreboard, and Kevin Costner's character thought he was the only one that saw it, and as it turns out, like later that night, as he's dropping Terrence Mann off, Terrence, Terrence Mann reveals that he saw the message too, and it's like, oh, I. I'm not going nuts. I'm not losing my mind here. You saw it too. Like, you know, like we've, we've connected there that, that power of feeling seen and heard in that thing. And it's like, Oh, I'm not losing my mind and going crazy. There's something to this. Like, let's figure out what that is. Let's continue on that journey together. There's a lot of that sort of dynamic in that. That was, it was so rewarding. I would have totally missed that. Jonathan, if I would have, if all the tension was mounting, and I did, I, like, I put resumes together. I was, I was, we were thinking about maybe moving to Seattle. We were thinking, like, we were having conversations. My wife is an only child. We're having conversations with her folks about what it would look like if we moved out of state, you know, if I got a different job. And I'm, there were several times that I was ready to pull the plug. And for whatever reason, I didn't. And we stuck around. And I would have missed out on so much beauty, so much goodness I, that I was totally, I didn't know was possible to realize in that sort of context. Cause I was, it was easy to be so over inundated with the tension and the dissonance and the, and the frustration and the anger at the, at the whole thing and wanting to be free of that and, and do that. But when you learn how to manage the tension and you can't, I don't think you can manage some of these, some of these things forever, but you, you know, if you're able to do that for a season, there's so much, there's so much beauty that comes out of that. And you develop these muscles that only get developed in that sort of space. You know, like you're, you're having to work pretty hard internally and I'm, it's, it's showing itself now that the, those muscles are, re, have, are really, really preparing me well to enter into whatever this next season of life is going to look like. Yeah, it's put really well. You know, I'm a, I'm Rene Girard, mimetic theory. Like I'm, my world kind of revolves around that. We've talked briefly about that a little bit in the past, but I think to state it a different way for you, it appears that you figured out, you knew that some of the things that were happening were um, in a way, uh, the way the evangelical world was scapegoating certain things and certain people, and you were pointing it out, but it seems like you had, really healthy energy in terms of like, okay, I, I don't want to make a scapegoat out of them for pointing out as I'm pointing out their scapegoating tendencies. And um, I know you wouldn't have said it that way, but that's kind of the way I see it. And I think there's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of health to that um, because there can be so much anger and energy wrapped up when, once you do start to see these things and things start to become clear, but all of a sudden, if you let that, that thing can really run you and drive you. And by the way, for some people, maybe it should for a short, short while, because, you know, they, maybe they really have been abused or hurt. Um, 
but sooner or later that same scapegoating energy will come back around and it'll it'll wind up using you so there's all these temptations but you're 100 percent right man there's all these temptations to use their own playbook against them like in in some sort of way and that and and, okay so like what i come back to the biblical text itself you know like turning the, the the idea of turning the other cheek it's like you have you have wronged me you have acted unjustly i could be justified in responding to that tit for tat like but when i opt not to do that when i opt not to return fire that is that's a gateway man for restoration that's a gateway for healing for restoration this is how broken stuff gets mended if i'm able to just turn the other cheek um and i i just i i felt i felt that in my bones like i just felt that in the depths of my being and i because there were so many of those times and i'm like this is so conniving. This is so manipulative. This is so, this is so backwards. You are, this is so false. And I, I could out them. I could, there's, you know, I could, there's a lot of stories I could tell and I could, I mean, and, and I've, I've got receipts, you know, like, if, <laughs> but it, I'm not, I'm not interested in it. It's like having that, the, the beatitude, Blessed are the meek. This is another like shift. When we think of meek in the Western world, we think of something that's kind of like cowardly, you know, kind of small and sheepish. And that's, that's kind of the image of meekness that comes to mind, but that's not at all what meekness means in the context of the, of the biblical text. Meekness is domesticated power. It is, having the ability to enforce your will on a situation having it's like a you're like a foot hovering over a cockroach you know like i could end everything for this thing and when i this domesticated power when i opt, when i have the power to enforce my will in a situation and i opt not to do it that it kind of so it's a these these beatitudes are they're all paradoxes like they're describing something that on the surface are not you know he's talking about you know happier these people or luckier these people who are you know hunger and thirst for righteousness or who are poor in spirit and he describes all of these people who are not in very advantageous states of being you know to be meek insinuates that this person has been wronged has been has been pushed aside and has the right to kind of act like to strike back. But when I opt not to do that, blessed are the meek. Like what does the meek person naturally, like what's the natural repercussion of someone who is meek instead of, instead of seizing what is rightfully mine, what do I gain when I meek? I gain everything for they shall inherit the earth. Like, when I don't exercise my will in that one thing, what I gain is everything, man. I just feel like I have, I've experienced that on such a real level and all of these sort of small moments, even, even just talking with you, I'm just, it, it's all kind of like coming into focus, you know, a little bit, this is still pretty, pretty fresh in the rearview mirror for me, but um, there's 
so many of those sort of things. And there's just something about like, this is the way that we're designed to live. Like it's giving us kind of this, the text is trying to, it's trying to like the teachings of Jesus, the Bible itself is just, it's trying to invite us into this perspective of the world that works, that helps us to realize how it is that we are designed to exist. Um, but when it gets thrown into this paradigm that's wrought with dogma and doctrine and orthodoxy and creeds, and it becomes something else. Like we, Money. we just lose it all. It, it rips the, it rips the text of all this incredible, incredible stuff, man. Word picture that uh, I was getting, even as you're talking was something to the effect of, you know, Jesus asking us to be meek. It's like a, it's a, it's a way to become small. So you're becoming smaller, but on the inside, you're getting bigger, you know? So yes. it, 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 there's something paradoxical. You're right about all of that. That is endlessly fascinating to me. And if I hadn't oh. caught that, I would have been done for a long time ago because the rest yeah. of the stuff is just, I mean, a lot of good people it's, you know, but most of it's just like, it's just making bricks, man. Like we were saying before, the easy thing to do is just to destroy the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like a wrecking ball is pretty cheap and it only takes a couple swings of that thing and the whole thing's done. It's easy to sort of do that. Um, but the, the danger in that, I think the, the baby that can get lost in the bathwater there is the, is the biblical text itself. There's, there's methodology out there that, that enables us to really be able to tap into what, what's being offered to us in that. It's a, and, and I think in some other sort of paradoxical way, that is the, the most valuable tool for someone who's walking that path is the Bible itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, at least that was my experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope to continue to be, you know, but that's to continue to be part of my part of my life's journey is to walk alongside of folks that are doing that same thing and just bear witness to my experience and show them things that I've discovered. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out for you because you're right. We, there's lots of different people that need to create space and environments where others who are going through this process and you're right. It's a growing number of them. Um, so places where they can, you know, find safe spaces to learn and grow and uh, hopefully not reject. I mean, on one hand, I actually don't really care if they reject the Bible in, in, in one, some ways, but in other ways, like you're saying, I think you just have this really deep appreciation for the word and um, for how to. It's like getting rid, like if, uh, if you knew somebody who was a victim of a stabbing, mm-hmm you probably would go through your kitchen and throw away all of your knives. Mm. You know, like a a knife can be a terrible instrument for someone who wants to hurt someone or who doesn't know what they're doing with it. Um, But it's a tool in the hand of someone who understands how to use it. I've been cooking a lot since the beginning of the pandemic and I I've, I've grown quite fond of like a handful of knives, you know, as I'm, cutting vegetables or slicing meat up or whatever it is like that. It, it's a very important tool. It's also a devast, it could be a devastating weapon. Um, in, in, I think a lot of life is like that. So, you know, not to be too careful to be dismissive of things because of how they've been used, but, but rather see if there is a, 
a redeeming way to engage with that thing um, that is that's helpful as opposed to destructive. Um, but can we get rid of assault rifles though? I'm I'm 100% with you on that for sure. Right. It's not. <laughs> I, just I just say, don't get it. Get rid of the assault rifles. That's fine. I just yes. I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't. I I don't even know where to begin to understand what what are we doing here? You know. <sighs> yeah, well, I'm uh, with you. I'll sign that petition. Yeah, me too. I've already signed a couple. Whatever that means. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're, we, you know, we were going for a while. We could probably go forever. How about, let me ask you this. Do you call yourself a Christian? Mm. Why or why not? Yes. Uh, yes and no. So I, insofar as I subscribe to a particular Christian doctrine, if you're, I guess it depends on who's defining Christian and, or who's asking the question. So if you're considering Christian as, as someone who, would um, recite creeds and, and embrace those things as true or subscribe to a particular doctrine. I'm, I probably don't fit the bill for you on that. Um, I have, I've developed some friends in the Jewish world recently, like over the last several years. And to them, I'm a Christian. Um, I'm a Christian in so far as my entry point to the idea of God and faith and the Bible is by way of Christianity. Um, so on one level, I'm absolutely not a Christian. On another level, I will always be a Christian. And that is, it's a part, it's a part of my story. This is, this is my, this is my gateway into, into the world of, of this stuff. And, um, it's, it's complicated, I guess is a, is a, a shorter way of answering that question, but Yeah. I guess that's kind of how I think about it. It is complicated, isn't it? How about uh, you? Do, you? do you consider yourself a Christian? Uh, I basically answer the same way. It depends on who's defining the term and what do you think it means. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not one in the sense that I thought I was 10 years ago. So I try not to use the word. There's so much baggage. I'll just say I really am intrigued by Jesus. Like, you know, yeah. um, I think... Um, he really lived a very, very interesting life. Talk about a story. And it still motivates me and compels, compels me to uh, be critiqued and challenged by it. But I don't care yeah. if, if you call me one or not. Um, <laughs> and turns yeah. out a bunch of people don't call me one. So <laughs> but there you have it. Yep. Uh, yep. I'm with you, man. So what's next for you? You, you brought up the, uh, the Hebrew thing, the Jewish thing. You got some cool stuff yep. in there. Maybe there'll be someone listening who like would maybe want to get connected with you in some way to explore some new nomadic religious cool stuff. Uh, I would love that. I'm always looking for new friends to, to share in the journey with um, for sure. That's a very proactive part of, of my life. There's some exciting things in the works. Um, for me, I'm, uh, I'm right on the cusp, I think of, um, of getting started in, develop, uh, yeah, starting like a nonprofit organization that essentially is aiming to help people that are on this deconstruction path, um, in a constructive, in a constructive way and try to provide some, uh, some real time, um, well-informed guidance, some resources. And, um, and I feel like most importantly, um, 
walking them through a, a methodology and a way of engaging with the text that is void of all of the toxic stuff of it. And uh, just inviting folks to, to reconsider the Bible, not to throw that out with all the other baggage stuff. Um, but I, it reminds, like, uh, I think when I think of the Bible, I think of uh, a magic eye book. I don't, if you remember the magic eye books from like the mid nineties, there were posters and all these books and, and all this stuff. You open these books and it's like a, a colorful pattern that's seemingly just totally random, like all these bright colors and this random pattern that's on these pages. And there's nothing, it doesn't seem like anything more than that, this random colorful pattern. Um, but when you learn how to look at those pages, there's a three dimensional image that comes off of the page. That has been my experience with the biblical text. I read it my whole life. I know the stories. I understand all, I, I've, I've been through all of it countless times. Um, but learning this methodology over these last few years has, I, I look at these pages now and it's not just a random series of colorful patterns, but it is these vibrant three-dimensional images that are just jumping off of the page that have been there all along. And I never saw them. Like I didn't know how to see it. I want, I want to help people learn how to see some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that it offers us some real guidance and assistance um, for our journey through the world. And I'm hoping to spend a lot of my life focused on um, helping people walk the sort of path that I've walked in and helping them as much as I can uh, along the way. Yeah, man, that's going to be fun. See how that turns out. Well, um, you don't have a website or anything yet, but you probably will soon. And if you do, I'll throw it in the show notes later on. And uh, awesome. I, you can, you can join the tens of followers I have on Instagram and uh, Twitter, yep. <laughs> Derek Logan and <laughs> D E R I C K. But that's it. Um, there you yep, go. I, well, I'm sure we'll be in touch, Jonathan. I look forward to sharing more with you as, as things uh, start to crystallize. Definitely. Well, I'm going to close by saying um, no one's going to go to a movie, watch the whole thing when there's no problems, right? You know, that's not why we go to movies. That's not why we read books. It's not why we listen to music, really. Um, and that's probably true of all kinds of art forms. And so it strikes me as you and I are talking that you, my friend, are you have, there's a lot of tension that you've already been through. Um, it's not all been resolved and now you're stepping into new issues. Um, but really what's going on is you, you are in the middle of a beautiful story and we haven't got to the end yet. Um, but, and whatever endings mean, I think with love, there really aren't any endings. Endings are just new beginnings anyhow. And just know that the problems in your life aren't evidence that you're, you know, being overwhelmed. They're just evidence here in the middle of a good story. Yeah. I feel that, man. Thank you for, thank you for saying that. And I'm so, I feel so grateful that our stories have overlapped these years and have evolved in similar ways, kind of from a distance. And yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. And uh, it's nice to look across the room and, and catch the eye of somebody yeah. who's, who's kind of seeing the world the way that I'm, I'm starting to see it. So um, thanks for being a good friend, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, man. Well, we'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Peace.
Uh, that was a lot of fun, you know, talking with him. Even as we were speaking, I was thinking along the lines of, this is a person who is embodying the process of changing right in front of us, going through these difficult things, and you're seeing the art emerge in really beautiful ways, and it really fascinates me. Because it's one thing to read about this stuff on paper, which of course I spend a lot of time writing, and so I think that that's helpful. But it's also another thing to interact in real time with a living human being who's trying to work through this stuff. And you realize, as I think often, that that truth and love and grace and mercy really come through best in flesh tone colors, not in black and white. And uh, so I see that happening in his life. I'm proud of him. And I'm proud of you for working through whatever it is that you're working through. I mean, for some of you even to listen to this kind of stuff put you in a really difficult kind of unstable position. So thank you for being strong enough to work through it. Don't give up. Love is with you. It will be with you to the end. And again, I don't really think there is an end. I think it's just the beginning of something new at the end. So we do have hope. Um, you just got to hang in there. Love is patient, right? All right, thanks a lot. Take care. <laughs>